let the waters settle and you will see the moon and the stars in your own being. Mm. Okay. That is so beautiful. And that's by Rumi, right? Mm-hmm. How did that particular quote call your name? You know, it's from what I see every day when I work with really bright leaders who are open to seeing the possibilities. And part of that is seeing what they're doing well and what things are not going as well. And the quote is saying, everything you want, it's within you, it's possible. Welcome to Unscripted Pivots. I am your host, Danielle Sproles. I have with me today somebody I just, I'm so enamored with, she's so brilliant. Shahrazad is an organizational psychologist, a master executive coach, a speaker, and author who specializes in partnering with leaders to help them create engaging, innovative, and productive cultures. Her new book, A Powerful Culture Starts With You, is an Amazon bestseller. Dr. Naravi has been named a trailblazer of the year, a citizen of the year, and quote-unquote, a voice to listen to for driving positive change in her community. She describes her mission as to help individuals, teams, and organizations lead in an empowering, bold, and inspiring way so that their quote-unquote strategy meets performance, which is also the name of her company. Welcome, welcome. It is so good to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you, Danielle. Now, you know, I'm going to laugh because I still struggle saying your name. We've already tried to do this once and it's a beautiful name and you'll tell us a little bit about the cultural background. But what makes me really laugh is that I know that you are fluent in four languages, okay? I mean, which is absolutely incredible. You speak French, you speak English, obviously, Spanish and Farsi, right? And I actually looked this up. I thought, what does somebody that speaks four languages, what are they called? And it's called a polyglot. So there's a little information I get to learn just getting to know you. So Shahrazad, she's going to correct me. She's going to no, say it right. you got it. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to use her name very little in this. I would say doctor because she's a doctor. She and I know each other from a networking group that's just fantastic. It's called Provisors. And Provisors is a global networking organization. And the two of us belong to uh, different chapters within the California community, but that's how we crossed paths. And you know when somebody walks into a room and they just have this presence, like a quiet presence, and you're just drawn. I couldn't get close to her fast enough. We have a very brief networking part before we actually sit down for our uh, monthly board meeting. And I was just all in her business and wanting to get to know her. And since then, I'm like following her. I'm reading her book. So let's hear a little bit about what's going on with you. That's a great summary of when we met. I was very much wanting to meet you as well. And what you've told me is I'm in your ear a lot because I have my book on Audible. So I forget about that, that people are (laughs) listening to me at different speeds throughout Mm -hmm. their weeks. So that's awesome. Yeah, I launched my first book, A Powerful Culture Starts With You, last year because over the years as I've been working with clients and executives they would say to me, you know, I have a good feeling about what a culture is, what a good culture looks like, but can you break it down for me? Can you tell me what to do? And that's what busy executives need. That's what we all need. We want to get to the point much quicker than um, a lot of information that's out there. And so I wrote a book 
that has three parts to it. One is how to look at your culture with a fresh set of eyes. One is how to create a coaching culture. And the third part is how to engage and get your senior team all on one page. Yeah, I I noticed that you described that as three models for driving a strong culture as watch it, drive it, and walk it. Yeah. I saw that on your site, and I love that because you can visually, like, think of that, right? It it makes it real. It makes it tangible. There's so much. So what would you say was your turning point? Like, was it in college where you started to study organizational psychology, or was it something that came out of another job? Like, give us a little bit of a background, like how you got to where you are, which is highly successful. Thank you so much. Uh, I had a few turning points in my career. When I was in college, there was no organizational psychology. There was just psychology and the path was to clinical where you're a therapist and you work with people on their uh, personal challenges every day. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I studied this, but I knew at 19 that I didn't think that would be a good fit for me. And there's people who are gifted in that way. God bless them. My mom is one of them. And I thought, how do I find a fit that's something I'm so excited about? And I found organizational psychology after working for an HR consulting firm and discovering There's this whole psychology to business and getting people motivated and getting their best performance and making it at the same time a great place to work. So once I learned about it, I was getting certified in everything I could get my hands on around personality and training and development and coaching. And I worked in-house for a lot of companies, meaning I was the person in charge of talent management and training And at the same time, I was working with a friend's company as a consultant for a Fortune 500 company. So I had a foot in both doors, both inside a company and as a consultant for medium-sized companies and Fortune 500 companies. And that was going all well. And then I needed a pivot. So that was the first pivot. The second pivot was I was, I don't know, 10 years out from doing all this consulting work. And I thought, you know, I need a bit more training. And in all of the roles, I'd always been the expert and I never had someone who's a mentor who has all that experience that you can learn from. So I thought that would be nice. And so I went back to school to earn my doctorate and it was a program that was taught by scholar practitioners. That means they're actually working with clients and CEOs. And I thought that's the program for me. And so that was a pivot, and um, I really enjoyed that. You had a you had a clear vision and a definite drive. I mean, the focus in that statement that you just made was really kind of inspiring. Now, how old were you at this time that you were actually like you know running at a thousand miles an hour? So, I'd been working for about fifteen years, and uh, I wanted to go back to school. Mm -hmm. And I did that. And the third pivot was about starting my own business. So first was discovering this field that helps companies and people that I will be doing for the rest of my days. Second was trying to hone in on these skills, which was the best thing I did. And third was starting my own practice. And it was a big fear I always had. And the pivot was, you're going to appreciate this, Danielle. I finished my program, which required, it was executive format. It was on the weekends and I would fly to 
Fresno, California from San Diego and mm-hmm. a lot of work in between. And I was working full time and I finished my program and I found this full-time job that required just the degree I had earned and all the years of experience I had. Ideal. I, mm-hmm. It was so ideal, <laughs> close to the house. What's the problem? I just thought this is one of those times that the stars are aligned mm-hmm. and it didn't work out. And I don't know why, but I was so upset by it. And I'm overall fairly resilient, but I was so upset about it well, wait, wait, let's wait. Before you run through, everybody wants to brush through their life. I will, okay. So it didn't work out and you're upset by it. it. It looked ideal. How long were you in that position before it became clear that this was not going to be a viable option for you? And what exactly happened? Just, you know, an overall comment regarding that. So went through some interviews, was told it wasn't going to happen on the couch for two weeks. Oh, so upset. Oh, no. Mom, the entrepreneur, comes over, says, what's the problem? Make a website, go to downtown, get a business license, start a company. And I said, Mom, thank you so much for that nice advice. And I feel very comfortable with my craft. I know what I'm doing. How will I find clients? And sometimes we forget that we can figure everything out. We have resources. We have the internet. Now we have chat GPT. Yes, we do. And I was um, in a place that was, I was stuck. And then I happened to get referred to a potential client and I drove to LA, sat down with him, learned about all the successes he'd had with his practice and the challenges he was having. And I shared with him, here are three things I would recommend. I wasn't even thinking about business development or making a sale. I didn't even have a company of my own, right? And it was just so natural and authentic. And he says to me, would you show up with that in a proposal this time next week? And you always have to say yes. So of course I said, (laughs) I would love to. And in the course of a week, I figured it all out. And that was the launch of my company. I was ready. I was trained And it was that opportunity that came my way. So a lot of times we just take that leap. I want to dial back a second, okay? Because you blew over the fact that mom entrepreneur, that rolled off your tongue. And I thought, wait a minute, let's take a beat, okay? So you didn't come from a mom that was baking cookies with an apron. It seems like your mom had some business sense and she was trying to encourage you. But you know, you have to find your own direction and you did. But- For a minute, let's just talk about what it was like growing up with a mom that was actually a working mom, because not everybody has one of those, right? So what was your mom doing? Like, what was her career? And how did maybe some of her attitudes or beliefs inspire you? Or how did you kind of like make a left when she would have made a right? So how do you differentiate the two of you? Let's let's just talk about that. Mothers and daughters. It's always an interesting twist. Oh, she's amazing. I mean, look, she came to this country with my dad to earn her bachelor's degree and they didn't even know English, right? So first was to learn English while working at Brock's Candy Factory in Chicago. <laughs> and, okay. Um, which, which country? Wait, you didn't say. Which country? Iran. Iran. Okay. So you're from yeah. Iran. So, yep. so mm-hmm. she was a go-getter from the start. When she came My dad came first. She came six months later and she saw all of their Iranian friends were working. No one was taking English classes. She said, hey, everybody, 
I signed us all up at the YMCA because that's where you took English in those days. Mm -hmm. And we're all going to learn this. What are you guys doing? Like, she's always been a leader. And so her first career was having a Farsi language school. And she taught people who are children who are of Iranian descent or their parents were born there and their first generation, the Farsi language, how to read and write. That's how I learned. I had to Mm -hmm. go every day, every Friday for five years, 4.30 to 8 o'clock. And so she had that for a long time. Then she went into real estate and she did great because she already had so many clients from all of these parents who'd been bringing their kids to the language classes. And then midlife, she decided that she wanted to be a clinical psychologist. So in her early (laughs) 50s, she went back to school and she's a lifelong learner. And I always grew up with books about mindset and Tony Robbins books in the household. And she went back to school and earned her doctorate and became a clinical psychologist. And she is practicing today. Okay. So th- this is where you get it from. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. It. So this is, but see, I mean, that that's a beautiful thing because she was setting an example for you and you could have adopted it or not. Maybe you have another yeah. sibling who didn't, right? But, but something about her and her approach towards life, which seems to be like a very much a growth mindset, right? And a drive that you just adopted that that was part, it just resonated with you. So now I completely understand why you're blowing through all this stuff and you got all these things and I just don't want to rush past it because all that you've yeah. experienced and all that you've accomplished is, is quite magnificent. Thank you so much. And I had a good role model. I mean, I'm so glad you picked that up. I'm to this day, she's so active in our community. She always brings people together and that it's coming from, yes, it's coming from possibility. And that's Mm -hmm. what I always learned from her. She goes for it. Yeah. Well, and we love to hear about women that are doing that and that the generational impact of that is very, very real. So you wrote this book last year, right? When you sat down to think, okay, I'm going to I'm going to write a book. Now, your drive and your ambition would suggest that this is not going to be a problem, but you're doing it as a first-time author. And there's a lot of women authors out there, either they're already accomplishing it or they want to. It's like me, it's on my to-do list, like maybe I'll be able to tell us a little bit about what that process is like when all of a sudden you want to put out your information you know, how did you start? Who did you hire? Like, who did you talk to? So, you know, it takes a little bit of a village to promote it and to print it and to, you know, market it, right? So tell us a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, great question. So I started the book in 2018 and I would write for a bit and then I would leave it alone for six months because I got involved in some big project. Pick it up again, work on it, put it back down. And I'd pick it up when someone would say, how's that book going? And I would say to myself, (laughs) oh yeah, I've got to do that. And so when the pandemic hit, I said to myself, you have zero excuses. (laughs) This is the time. And so I used my time really wisely and finished writing that book along with a lot of other things I worked on. And a couple things to tell you, One, uh, there's different ways to write a book. I started typing with this first book and after a while I got sick of it. It didn't feel like a creative flow. So I bought five by seven notebooks and I had my mechanical pencil with the eraser and I physically wrote like two thirds of the book and then had it transcribed. 
because for some reason that's the way it was flowing for me. But you know, that's, yeah, that's, um, that's a little arduous in terms of like how you would be, um, you know, editing it and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like journaling, right? Yeah. I mean, you're really not supposed to be typing out your journal. There is something magical and indescribable that happens when you take your hand, your physical self, and you put it to paper, right? There is no I don't know, like there's no middleman in that process, right? It becomes very personal and it brings it to life. And it was in my bag. So anytime I was waiting for something or I would go to the coffee shop and write, there's something really soothing about it. It felt right. And I share that because some people say, you know, they don't know how to start. That's one way. Another way is to speak into your phone and record it and it'll come down typed out. So there's different ways to do it. So that was something funny, but Mm -hmm. really helped me. So that's one. Another thing I did go through the whole imposter syndrome where (laughs) you just say, what do I know? Or hasn't every book been written before? And I talked to a woman named Marnie Friedman and she's written a book for women to write books. It's called Roar. And she said, she has come across Uh, And I'll get you the rest of the title, but she's come across so many women who are fully qualified, have so much wisdom and experience to share and ask, but can I, should I? And she has come across many more men who have much less experience and they say, I think it's time for me to write a book. And so that was very motivating when she told me that I said, I don't want to fall into that. I got to get this done. So there was definitely that process. And then once you get a draft down and If you write two pages a day for 90 days, you will have a manuscript of a book. So if there's anyone who has a book inside of them and needs a little bit of a nudge, that's something exciting. That's the formula. Two pages for 90 days will give you a manuscript's worth. Okay. And then what do you do with the manuscript? Who are you handing that to? (laughs) Yeah, you decide if you want to get published by one of the big houses. And if you do, you have to find a literary agent. So you approach many of them, 50, a hundred, and one will click and then they will help you. I don't know that route and that route's not for everyone. Or you can get someone who helps you with the self-publishing process, which is what Mm -hmm. I did. Well, that's the growing trend now. I mean, why wait to see? And, you know, when you say 50 to 100, I mean, that's no small number. And there's no guarantee. Yeah. So I can see when there is another option, you know, that's, I I would say the majority of the people that aren't yet established or recognized as a name brand would go into the self-publishing part of it, right? And you have full control over what you're doing. And it's something that you have to think about, what do I want for this book? You know, and so I work with publishing partner. And you can find them online. And Bethany was awesome. And she helped me through the whole process, found the right editors, the graphic artist, the designer, helped me get it on Amazon. And so it's been a great learning process. And, you know, once you figure out the formula and how to do it for one book, then you get 
excited to write more. And as a thought leader, we should write more. So I'm working on my second one as well. I I know you are. (laughs) When I saw you recently, you said that's underway because you know what? Look, it's been, it's now you're, you're just unleashed with it, right? You know, you've proven to yourself that you can, you have more to say, and then you have the drive of your mother. So it's like, you know, the perfect storm. There's, there's no stopping you, nor there, nor should there be. I mean, the world wants what you have. So tell us a little bit about how you go into organizations and you help them become aware that the organizational culture is what can really lead them to success or failure, right? Because you describe in your book that the culture is like the personality of the the company and that you can't discount that. And you also use um, a term of art called culture guardians. Talk mm-hmm. about culture guardians and, and how you come in there and what type of companies are enlisting your help and can see the value in you, what you're teaching. Yeah. So I typically work with mid-sized companies and they come to me for one of two reasons. One is continued fitness of their organization and their culture. They are very much ascribing to the concept (laughs) of taking care of their culture. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they have a ton of pain. They just want to keep up with what great employees want to see in a company. They want to make sure they're doing the right things and tending to the things that they're not doing as well. And then the other type of client, they're having transition and they want to make sure during this transition, whether it's a new leader, whether the president is stepping down and someone else is stepping up, that they are creating that environment that they want. And so what I do is, uh, first, what I start with is a culture assessment where I interview stakeholders, both formal leaders and informal leaders, and find out what's going really well that everyone is proud of and what are some things that can be better. I start very broad. And then as I have three, four, five, ten interviews, I start seeing the patterns because people have some really similar sensibilities around mm-hmm. environments and culture and communication. And um, at the same time, I'm conducting this culture assessment. I'm conducting interviews for the leaders, the CEO, the CFO, the C-suite, to be able to work with them one-on-one on how they are showing up as leaders, what they're doing well, and what they could adjust to be more effective. And so I work one-on-one with the leaders, and then I work with the group of the senior team together to share, here's what you should be proud of, here's some suggestions, here's recommendations I have, let's talk about it. So it's a collaborative um, activity at the end. You said something when I asked you about what type of companies you didn't say I come into companies that are tanking. It almost sounds like the two type of companies that you're helping are invested in the success of the company and they recognize that they want to take it to the next level, right? So I would imagine that probably helps with the transparency of all the leaders and their employees in helping you identify what the personalities look like, right? I mean, do you run into a little bit where you feel they're being guarded or dishonest because they may want to be, you know, not, it could be ego driven, right? I mean, there's always probably a couple of bad apples that are perpetuating a problem that definitely needs some addressing. How do you handle the sensitivities of that, especially if it goes up the top, like it's the CEO, you know? Exactly. So when I am 
creating the engagement with my client, who is someone from the C-suite, I say to them, listen, as I am conducting these interviews, there's a possibility that I may find that part of the challenge or the problems that exist stems from you. From you. <laughs> or, the, or the senior team. Yeah. If that's the case, my job is to share that with you and come up with ways to work on it. I want to ask your permission if that's okay and if you're open to it. And so I make sure before there's any contract that's signed yeah. that the person and the team is open because that is going to do more damage than anything if they're not. And so sure. people who work with me have some of that awareness that they are impacting the culture, which is really exciting because when they make changes, it shifts the culture dramatically. So it's very powerful. And, you know, you really, when you get in there, there has to be a foundation of trust. So, I, I mean, just knowing you for as little as I do, I mean, we, we've been together a couple of times and I, you, you do have that aura, for lack of a better word, I guess, like this energy where being near you just feels so easy and comfortable and familiar. That's what I'm just going to say. Like that, mm -hmm. that, that's just like the energy and the vibe that you give off naturally. And so I would imagine that would really help you in, you know, gaining these clients and, you know, attracting them in as much as they're going to feel, yes, I can trust her. She's going to be here to help us. And that may lead to some exposure that could make them vulnerable and possibly uncomfortable but that they're okay with it. You do. You just have that vibe. So that's something that you probably hone a little bit. I mean, it's probably a gift. And then what do you do to grow that? I mean, how do you build that trust in the beginning so that you can kind of solidify it as the process starts? Yeah. So I let my client know that it's very normal that there's going to be some suggestions for improvement and there may be things they've been working on and they were thinking was going well and it may hurt a little bit. Ouch. I thought that was going great and that it's okay. And I'm here alongside them and I will coach them and where there's things that are about skill development, I will help get them there. I have a training in journalism and corporate communications and um, public speaking, and I end up helping with all these things. And, you know, it takes that little bit of courage. And so I share that with them. And they know that I'm there without judgment, with full support. And at the same time, I will share my truth. They know that if there's something, I ask them, if there's something that you tell me you want to achieve, and if I hear or, you know, see that what you're saying is not aligned with that, is it okay if I share that observation? So I get their permission before I share the truth and then start talking about solutions. I like the word permission, right? Yeah. Because that's saying that I'm, I'm right from the get-go, I'm in partnership with you. I'm not working against you, I'm working with you. That's fantastic. So one of the things I'm I saw on your website, um, which goes to this, it's a statement and says, as successful CEOs devote their time and energy to growing their companies in a fast paced world of global trade, high technology and fierce competition, the how of business 
also known as an organizational culture, can be neglected. The repercussions include losing your most talented people, damaging your reputation, and wreaking havoc on company growth. And I mean, that statement by you is just so spot on. And if anybody who really wants to see their company grow and the C-suite people are invested in it, how could that not make sense to not hire you and to kind of get down to just get inside everybody's heads and see how they can, you know, change and improve things? Yeah, if the strategy is the what, organization development, organizational culture is the how. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you didn't. No, I'm from Jersey. We're going to talk over each other if we do it well. So, (laughs) uh, and I always have a lot of questions because I get really, I get like involved when I start interviewing anybody. I'm, I'm just so excited about what it is that you're doing and I find it extremely interesting. I really, really do. And just when I think about your coaching and then going in there and it's like on a larger scale, it's not just one-on-one and that there may be some firing around that strategy, right? And then, you know, what you set into motion, but you're there for the health of the overall organization. And that's, so it's a common goal, right? How did you come up with strategy meets performance? I'll tell you that. Can I just say one thing? Say it all. Bring it on. (laughs) When it comes to um, working with clients and if they have people on their team, even if these are the highest performers who bring in so much revenue, if those people are not living the values, if they're not treating people with respect, the question is, how will you make a decision? Because I believe in first coaching up, Mm -hmm. and giving people the opportunity to discover where they're stuck, why they're behaving in negative ways if they are. And a a lot of people, when they see it and they have one-on-one confidential coaching, they are able to work on it and turn it around. So I do believe in coaching up. But if a person continues to be negative in the culture and creates a toxic environment, I believe in coaching out. And um, some leaders have a hard time doing that. And so I think a big part of this work is having the view of the employee in your mind because they want to see you walk the talk. They want to have an environment where they come in and they're comfortable and their nervous system is settled and not always on high alert because they're working with someone terrible or has a terrible behavior. So I just wanted to mention that in terms of coaching up or coaching out. In terms of the company name, I I looked for websites that were available and that made sense in terms of how a strategy brings out the best performance in a company. And I almost did performance meets strategy, but then that was PMS. So I said, no, strategy oh. meets performance. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. But it, but it's the meeting of the strategy and the people and bringing wonderful sustainable outcomes and creating an environment where people want to stay. And there's a lot of turnover these days and it's so wasteful. It's wasteful of your time and resources and people's time and getting people onboarded and then getting them to the point where they could perform. And then they shortly leave shortly thereafter. It's not worth it. It's better to work on your culture. Absolutely. And I think there's a growing understanding of the importance of that, just like there is more of an embracing of the emotional intelligence within leaders. I mean, there's a huge shift over the last couple of years that I'm witnessing and that I hope that momentum continues. 
you know, strategy meets performance. I, I think it's self-evident. I wasn't confused by the title. I was just yeah. curious how you came up with it. And you've been there for now, what, like 13 years? Yes. Is it 13 years, right? Yeah. And you also are an adjunct professor too. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I love to teach from time to time. And I teach workshops through San Diego State. I've taught at UCSD, USD, Pepperdine, I do like to do it every so often, but certainly it takes time. But yeah, I think we can help the next level of leaders and coaches serve. So yeah, I do like to do it when I have time. I like that you're saying next level. I don't know if I shared with you. Well, I just recently got my executive coaching certification. And really what that is, is the beginning of the process too. Mm -hmm. So I'm certified as a coach. I know you're a master coach and also through ICF, which is the track I'm going on as well. I don't anticipate being a master coach. It's not really what I need to do in my profession. Certainly for you, it behooves you. But I already have a domain name and I've had it for about six months and it's called Next Level Women. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I, I'm because everything that I think about, I'm like wanting to take it to the next level. And the level, you know, we could think about the next level, like leveling up. But I like the word level because I think of it as a tool. It It's there for balance. It's supposed to tell you that something's on center. Right. So that's really why I, I kept that name. And, um, you know, like you, you know, I start looking for what's not taken. Mine wasn't going to say PMS, which is kind of funny, but, um, you know, a lot of them were so that it had to be .org. Right. And so I'm building a website around that. But you have that gift. I want to ask you a couple of things because you have on your website a few quotes that are very, very powerful. One of them is and it looks like it's almost like a signature quote that wraps things up. It says, let the waters settle and you will see the moon and the stars in your own being. Mm -hmm. OK, that is so beautiful. And that's by Rumi right? Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about why you chose that. I mean, it's fantastic. There's nothing like wrong with it. But how did that particular quote call your name? You know, it's from what I see every day when I work with really bright leaders who are open to seeing the possibilities. And part of that is seeing what they're doing well and what things are not going as well. And the quote is saying everything you want, it's within you, it's possible. And I help that happen with mm -hmm. my clients. And so I thought that's just such a beautiful way to sum it up. Good catch on that. Yeah, no, well, because it struck me. I mean, it just, it has that, um, it, it grabs you. And I like the moon and the stars because mm -hmm. I think about how you illuminate what the possibilities are to your client, right? It's almost like you take them from darkness into light so they can see and they can strategize and they can, you know, change. It's about transformation, right? Exactly. So I really, I love that. So with all that's going on, here we go. Now we've got the, you know, your full-time career and all the other things around what you're doing, of which the list I know is very long. What are some of the coping mechanisms you have in place when things get a little bit too crazy or, you know, you otherwise are feeling fatigued because we women wear so many hats. And just when we think we have enough, we just put another one on. I mean, it, it just is how a lot of us successful type A women are, right? We don't know what it is to go slow. What are the, some of the things that you 
have found to be useful? Yeah, great question. I've always, you know, gone to the gym and I've had my dog for a long time, walked the dog. But recently, the last couple of years, mm-hmm. I discovered I have a knack for sports and <laughs> I did not uh, play sports in high school. I didn't really have friends who did. And I would see the women's softball, you know, and I would think that looks interesting, but I never took it that extra step and find out what's going on with them or track, but it was in my head. So I'm a little bit of a late bloomer. So I have uh, started taking tennis a few years ago. It was a blessing during COVID that I could Okay, great, the the exercise. Look at that, a, a hidden athlete within you looking to come out. So you're taking tennis. I'm taking tennis. I play boxing. I, yeah. I, uh, I go to boxing and I tell you when you're in that flow state and you are not just doing something physical, but you're also learning and you're thinking there's something really special about it. There's something that is addicting about continuing to do something where you start seeing yourself improve and do things that you thought were so hard and then you could do it. So so you make an excellent point. I want to touch on this, right? So not only are you channeling your energy, which actually helps us when we do it in a positive way, like exercising, but you added to that, that it was while you're learning something new. And, you know, therein lies the key, I, I believe, yeah. because we're so hungry and so curious and growth mindset. Not everybody, but you are, I am, there's a lot of us out there. And then when you are matching a different way to channel the energy while you're learning something, that just seems to be satisfying on another level. That, that keeps yeah. us coming back for more, <laughs> you know? It does. You just so, think, you start out, you know, thinking, how how do you hit the ball in that way? Yeah. That's so hard. And then you start doing it. Or how do you hit the ball out of the air? And it looks easy, but it's really not. And then mm-hmm. you do it and you're like, I did that. It's a good Monday, you know, or whatever It's a sense it of accomplishment. And you, you're outside. You meet other women. <laughs> you're it's exercising. Yeah. What's the problem? Like the problem is making time for it in your schedule and it's not easy. I'll have a phone call beforehand in my car, mm-hmm. not a Zoom. And then after, right, I might. And I just make it work because yeah. it's so important to me. It's become a non-negotiable. I am. There it is. I, I, see, I finish my class and someone's kid comes in and I, I'm taking myself to class. <laughs> yes. I, okay. See, this when you said it, it's a non-negotiable, yeah. this is it. Okay. This is the difference because when we prioritize something, and then it's a matter of like, you know, it's good for you and it, it really, it brings you joy. It's not like you're just trying to yeah. like eat your green beans and do something healthy, but it brings you joy. There will always be sabotaging moments, okay, within our schedule that will make us look at, can I really afford the time and the energy for this? And I love how you said it's non-negotiable. Yeah, That's really where your success lies in as much as you can continue to explore if you make it like a top priority, right? Too often, I, I we we tend to not just women, but people in general, we renegotiate those boundaries because we think that they weren't realistic in the end. And you know, you're making it your business to do it. I mean, full disclosure: I don't have children. I'm married. I have a nephew who lives with us, um, mm-hmm. but I don't have kids, so. 
those of you who are listening, who are thinking, how does she do that? It, I do not have that responsibility of children. So it, I acknowledge it is more difficult to do that, you know, when you have to take Yeah, but even when there. you have kids, you can always get people, look, I have four, they're all grown, but you, you get people to babysit. I, I think it still lies. You may not have any kids of your own. You are helping raise your nephew. He is around your house. But more than that, you have enough jobs that would kind of like be the same amount of time, okay, as kids. <laughs> That's what my so I, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know how you can make that comment, like seriously say it, uh, you know. So it's like you know you're 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 growing businesses and ideas and you're helping people along the way. You are educating them, you know, in your, your adjunct professor work and and your charitable work. I mean, all the things that you do, you're not sitting there with a whole lot of time and eating bonbons. Okay, so kids I, I are mean, not. I just really admire women, you know, I, who are parents and do so much. So that's an ode to them. And I think that it's so easy for us to, and it's good that you admire them. And I think that's positive and I, and I think that's realistic. But I also think that we admire what we don't know even more so because mm. we can't imagine, right? So I look at you and I'm like, look what she's going in and transforming these companies. And she's already got a book out and now she's writing her second. And I haven't done that. Yeah, I've had mm. four kids, but I admire you. And I go, how can she possibly do that? No, but it, it's, it's really the unknown. All of us should be respected. All of us should be admired. Yeah. But I don't. I won't tell you that I think that women with children have it any harder than women without. Because the women that don't, that are in the career space, they're filling up those same hours that they would have been doing mm. diapers with things that are responsibilities that are really tough. Because then they're answering to other people, not just their kids. Okay, so don't discount what it is you're doing. I'm in awe of you. I just, I'm so glad that you came on today. Is there anything else you want to tell us about where you're going, what's going on, and you know, give us some parting tips or ideas or just share what's uh, making you happy today? Sure. What's making me happy every day is empowering the clients that I work with. And should you want to learn more about culture and culture guardians who are people who really care about the company and they take steps to look at it. Uh, my book has all kinds of resources and tools that you can download at a powerfulculture.com and you sign up and uh, have your email address and something gets sent to you and you show that you're not a bot. And then in your email box, <laughs> yeah. you get a second email with all the resources. So there's a lot of ways all of us, whether you have employees or not, can look at the culture, can learn how to coach, can see what the best practices are. And I think culture is everyone's responsibility. So I think that part's really exciting. You're, you're absolutely right. And then for me, like, you know, with my busy schedule, and I love to read a hardcover, but I knew it was more um, likely that I would be listening to on the go. And and I love that you're speaking it. That I mean, if I, if I know the author is speaking the book, I'm all down with that. So Audible is just something, it's a platform that I use all the, all the time. And I love listening to you, you talk about what your, you know, the organizational culture and your point that that's everybody's responsibility, mm -hmm. whether they're a CEO or, you know, they're reporting to the CEO. We all make up the fabric that makes up the organization's culture. And so we can't be complaining if we're not being part of the change, right? Yeah. Even sharing, even if you have no reports, you can share your suggestions with your boss or your peers mm -hmm. or others and create a movement. You can share your voice and there's more space for it today than there was even a generation ago. Gen X we were just talking about 
work-life balance and people were making fun of us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just like people, every generation says something about the new one, but there all, there's also so much, um, great things and we should listen. Yeah. Well, be the change in the world that we want to see. I can't thank you enough for coming on, uh, the, in the show notes, there'll be your contact information and also a link to purchase your book. I, I can't wait till we cross paths again. I hope it's in the very near future. I respect you. I adore you. And I appreciate you. So thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Danielle. Before you go, I really want to thank you for joining me today. I really do appreciate you. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate and review Unscripted Pivots on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve and reach more listeners just like yourself. And remember to subscribe to stay updated on future episodes released every Wednesday morning. I have more great content and stories from WTF women coming your way. Until then.